thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. If you're looking at your notes there, we've entitled this message, Average Joe. We're going to be talking about the son of Jacob, Joseph. Joseph is such a great character in the Bible. It's my wife's favorite Bible character. I told her what I was preaching on just the other day and she was all excited and disappointed she wasn't going to be here. I said she'll have to go back to the archives and pull it down for herself to listen to it. But uh, you know when I first, uh, when it was first suggested that this title Average Joe, we were kind of sitting around the table and thinking about it. I said, listen, I really felt stirred to talk about the life of Joseph and pull out some truths from his life for all the fathers and for all the men and for everybody. Someone said, well, how about average Joe? And it didn't resonate with me immediately because I don't think as Joseph is average. To me, he's an outstanding Bible character. I've studied him so much over the years but if you really do think about it, he was average in the way that he had a family. He grew up in a family, a dysfunctional family. <laughs> he had his battles. He had his dreams. He had his challenges. He came out on top. And I really believe he was above average at the end only because of the work of God in his life. But he was an average Joe. And I believe that every man in this room, every, every one of us in this room can be challenged by what we're going to talk about today. I like coming to church and hearing something that is fresh, something new, something challenging, because I know I have a lot of room to grow. Turn to someone and ask them, do you have a lot of room to grow? Now, depending on their answer, you either can call them liar, 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 or uh, good, I'm praying for you. <laughs> Only joking. <laughs> but it's true, we all have a lot of room to grow. But hopefully by the end of our time together, something great is going to happen. Now, as you look at Genesis chapter 37 through Genesis chapter 50, and do yourself a favor and read those chapters on your own, you'll get a better picture of what we're going to be uh, kind of talking about today. But there, there is a verse that stands out. There are actually two verses found in two, two spots. Genesis chapter 39, verse 2, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. Say it with me. The Lord was with Joseph. And then again in verse 21, it says the same thing. The Lord was with Joseph. Again, the Lord was with Joseph. That's what made a difference in his life. The Lord was with Joseph. Now, it becomes evident as you read through these stories, absolutely he was with Joseph. So we're going to look at that in just a moment. But he was average in a way. He he had some challenges in his life. So let me kind of mention some of those challenges, mention some of the dysfunction that was going on around him as he was growing up that, that uh, if the Lord wasn't with him, he would have never made it. If the Lord wasn't with me, I would have never made it. And I'm sure you can say the same about yourself. But here's a, a young man that is a house. He, he was rejected at home at an early age. Uh, by his brothers. How many have felt, now let me, I won't answer, ask that question, but you know what it means to be a, rejected at home. 
You know what it means to be rejected even in the kindergarten playground. It starts at a very early age where kids aren't so nice. And so they were, he's rejected at home, we're rejected as teenagers, we're rejected as young adults, and that leaves a, a, a wound in your heart that's hard to overcome, even in the slightest of rejection. He was tempted at work. How many of us are tempted at work continually? Tempted to, to conform, tempted to cheat, tempted to lust, tempted to whatever it might be. And also he was forgotten when he was in prison at a time when he had thought he had built some trust in favor of some people and then he was forgotten or rejected once again. And it, you begin to wonder and ask yourself the question, how can I make an impact if this rejection I feel all the time, the, 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 the temptations that I'm faced with and constantly not being noticed, how can I make an impact when everything seems to be working against me? I don't know if that, that has ever crossed your mind, but it does. We're human beings. You hear on Sundays, you hear the pastor, you hear someone say, listen, you can be a man of God. You can be a woman of God. You can have impact. God has called you higher and you can influence people. And it sounds good. It stirs your heart a little bit, but then you're back into reality and you're wondering how in the world is this ever going to happen? I'm in an impossible situation. Maybe who he's talking to is, are people that don't face the kind of things that I'm facing. But let me tell you something. All of us face basically the same things. We go through the same challenges in life. Maybe they have a different color to them, a different size to them. It doesn't matter what we do. But one thing about Joseph, in the midst of all of it, he was faithful to his responsibilities. He knew what he was responsible to do. He maintained his integrity, and at all times, he believed in the sovereignty of God. Somehow, he got a hold of at an early age that he could trust God, that he saw the bigger picture and was able to cling to that. I want to tell you something. God has a plan that's greater than your problem. So whatever your problem might be, God has a plan that is greater than the problem that you have right now. And it's certainly true in the life of Joseph. He did not give in to self-pity, though he could have. Very easily given in to self-pity. You know, people fall into self-pity, it takes them a long time to get out of that pit. He didn't give in to the bitterness that could have taken hold of his life and could have changed everything because I know bitterness changes everything. Entertain a little bit of bitterness, allow it to, to go on in your life, and before you know it, it robs you of your joy, it robs you of your health, it robs you of your vision, robs you of your, or of your dreams. It just, it just makes you a different person than what God has been trying to make out of your life. It's all because of bitterness. You got to let it go. So his character was better than his circumstances. We learned that right away. I found that God often uh, redirects our life through failures and disappointments and, and uh, broken dreams and mistakes that we made. And that's true again in Joseph's life, redirected. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 22, it's not a verse on your notes are coming up, but it's one that, that, that's really important for us to understand. God looked down and he saw that there's a big social problem Social injustice, people were treating others unfairly. 
there was abuses that are taking place. And here's what Ezekiel said. God saw that and he sought for a man. That says a lot. God knows the problems we're faced with. He knows our social problems. He knows what we're being faced with as a nation. He knows our culture that we live in. He knows the abuses and the, the unfairness in which people treat. And, and yet when he sees that, immediately he seeks for a man or a woman, could be in this case, but he's seeking for those who can step into that situation and make a difference, have an impact, speak a word that will bring something different than what people are already facing. So we have Joseph. We have Joseph that his story is summed up by some of these words. Jealousy, malice, animosity, revenge, deceit, lust, seduction, attempted murder, violence, rape, false charges, prison, disasters, drought, famine. You almost get, you get out of breath saying all the things that were really wrong. But there's another side of the coin. And the other side of the coin, there was God's sovereignty, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his wisdom, and his restoration. All in those chapters. It's all going to come out in those chapters as we talk about them. Quick summary of his life without having all of the 13 or 14 chapters there. A summary of his life, he's the 10th he's the out of a, 11 children. At a young age, he's somewhat of a dreamer. Uh, that says something about him. He, he dreamed, uh, uh, but he didn't keep the dreams to himself. He shared those dreams. Some would say that he shared them at the wrong time in the wrong place. Some would say that. But you know, when you're, when you're young and God gives you a dream and you're not really thinking of the, the consequences that would come from brothers that you didn't really know had malice toward you already, so you share those dreams. You share them with your father. You're excited about those dreams. But as a result of it, there was more jealousy. There was more animosity. There was more malice toward him. But it says of his father, he pondered those things in his heart. His father saw something in him. He saw that his son, one of his younger son, was a, was a dreamer. He saw something special. But the brothers hated him. They hated him so much that when they had opportunity, they actually plotted to kill this young man. And if it weren't for just one, they would have killed him if the opportune moment was there. But rather than kill him, they saw an opportunity to get rid of him another way. And there he was, put in a pit for a while until a camel train was moving down to Egypt. So they thought, rather than kill him, let's just get some money out of the deal. So for 30 pieces of silver, they sold him to slave traders as they went down into Egypt. Now, you're going to find through the life of Joseph that it's a beautiful type and shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are a lot of characteristics that will pop out here. There were characteristics that Christ had himself while he was here on this earth. So he sold to this slave train that's going down. He's put on the slave block when he gets down into Egypt. And it just happens that... Potiphar, who was one of the high-ranking officials, probably in charge of the palace guard, needed a slave. And he said, I'll take that one. So he took Joseph home, not knowing what kind of man he really was. 
but he took him home, but he proved to be a good man. He proved to be a faithful man, a loyal man, one that could take responsibility, so much so that he put him in charge of everything. He was a chief slave, if you will. But still, things weren't going to work out for him because Potiphar's wife saw that he was a good-looking man, and so she began to hang around him and, matter of fact, got pretty bold and said, come, lie with me. So day after day, we're told day after day, the temptation to do that. Now, you got you to gotta see how difficult, that's a difficult situation no matter where you're at. But he's away from his family, away from the influence of his father, Jacob, who really taught him about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God. Now he's down in a world that worships pagan gods or lots of gods. And, and he could have thought, listen, I'm away from anyone who's really going to see me. It seems like God has forsaken me. So the temptation would even seem greater. The opportune moment would be there. But he refused to do it. One day she got so bold, though, that she literally grabbed hold of his garment. I mean, she was serious this day. Men were out of the house. J uh, Joseph had come in to do his duty, his responsibilities. She grabbed a hold of him, whether it was just an outer garment, or didn't, we don't know for sure, but it says that he tore himself away. He, he ran away, leaving his garment behind. She accuses him of rape, and they throw him into prison. He's in prison now, and again, those thoughts could go through your mind, God, what did I do wrong? I thought I did what was right, and look where I ended up. How many know that you can do what is right and still struggle with things? You can still. It doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It just means that you live in a world where you're going to struggle with the sin-fallen world that we had. But once again, he, he does what is right, and he, he gains a reputation as a good prisoner, so they give him charge of all the prisons. There's two men that were thrown into prison that had dreams one day. Joseph comes forth, and he interpreted their dreams. And he said, when you get out, remember me. They get out, they forget about him. So once again, he's left in prison. But one day, Pharaoh has a dream. And the one that got out and was freed and didn't lose his life over said, listen, I knew someone who was in prison that interprets dreams. So even though the wise men and all the others could not, they called for this prisoner, brought him before Pharaoh. He interprets the dream. Pharaoh knows it is true, and he chooses Joseph. Think about this. He chooses Joseph to be the prime minister, second in charge, no one to be his equal, Pharaoh only to be higher than him. He seemed to have the wisdom. So Pharaoh saw something in him. Not that he just interpreted the dream. It had to be more than that. He saw the wisdom in the interpretation. He, he, hearing about his character and things like this, this is, a, this is a good man. This is a man that we need up here. He has the wisdom we need. So what does he do? The, during the dream, he, there's prosperous years. He saves up. During the famine years, he distributes to all of the, the world. So he has success. He has success even in that time. Let me give you four things. Let me get to the four things. Four things that I would say make for a godly man. 
four things that any one of us could pull out of the life of Joseph, and there are many others, but I think these four kind of sum it up for us today. So I put it there, you can tell a godly man by number one, what he runs from. You have some notes there, you can follow along, put it in, what he runs from. What does a godly man run from? Now in Genesis chapter 39, some of the story that I've mentioned, but let me get a little bit more detailed in this verse six. It says, Joseph was a handsome in both in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He has committed all of this into my hand. He says, there's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. So not only said that because you are his wife, he said, how then can I do this great wickedness and what? Sin against who? He was conscious of God. Not only was it a sin against her and a sin against Potiphar, not only was it wrong to do, he saw it was a sin against God. He had that God sensitivity. I call it the fear of God. The fear of the Lord, an awesome respect for a holy God that if I do this thing, I'm going to offend God. And I, I don't want to offend God. I don't care about all these other people. I don't want to offend God. You know, the fear of the Lord will keep you when everyone else leaves you. When there's no one else around to call you into accountability, if you have that awesome respect for God, when you're all alone and no one's around calling you into account, that fear of God will just prick your heart and you're not going to do it. You're going to run from it because you don't want to offend God. That was Joseph's attitude. So it was that way as he spoke to Joseph day by day, she did. He did not heed her to lie with her or be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and he ran. What did he do? He ran away from this. He was a godly man because he learned what to run away from. And so it was when she saw that he left his garment in her hand and fled outside. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11. This is Paul exhorting now. He said, but you, Timothy, and what does he say? Are a man of God. Say man of God. He said, you're a man of God, Timothy. And because you are a man of God, run from all these evil things. A man of God knows how to run from things. A man of God knows immediately when to run. Man of God, God's man. A man who personally belongs to God. You know that phrase sometimes we, men, we kind of tend to hold back from because it sounds like, ooh, it's pretty righteous if I call myself a man of God. But if you belong to God, you're a man of God. That's not something we should be ashamed of. It's something we should be proud of. I'm a man of God. I want to be a man of God. And I believe there are a lot of other men in here. You want to be a man of God. Not only a good father, I want to be a man of God. God possesses me. He owns me. I've been bought with a price. I've been purchased by his precious blood. I belong to God. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I carry around in me, the spirit of the living God. 
That's an awesome position to take. God's man. Not a man that belongs to the world. Not a man that belongs to the culture. Not a man that belongs to the church. How many know you can belong to church and not be a man of God? Sure you can. Sure you can. Unfortunately, a lot of them. Moses, as said, was a man of God. Samuel is called a man of God. Elijah, Elijah. David is called a God's man. And Paul labels Timothy as a man of God. It's a good title. You, Timothy, are a man of God. So run. Because you are a man of God, you got to learn how to run, Timothy. If you're going to be a man of God, you're going to be a running man. You got to learn to be a runner. And I'm not talking about physical running, I'm talking about spiritual running. The day I see people who are physically running smile, I'll join them. I'm afraid this is what's going to happen. They're going to go by my house now smiling to get me to run. I'm going to go, you're faking it. You are faking it. I know it. What would have happened? What would have happened if Joseph did not run and he lingered? Scary thought. Because I don't know too many men who can take up with the kind of pressure that when a woman gets to you, so desires you that she grabs hold of you and you just kind of like, ooh, I don't want to embarrass her. You know, I don't want to make her feel bad. You know, I just, what would have happened? She wouldn't have stopped with the garment. She would have kept going. So what do you do? Run. Run, run. Run from situations like that. Don't worry about being embarrassed. Don't worry about what other people say. They'll call you, oh man, you blew that opportunity. You had it, man. And there, what did you run for? Because I'm a man of God. That's why. Might laugh at you. Might not think you're, see, what they're trying to do is put you in their mold. We're not to be put in their mold. We want to invite them over to the mold that we have, which is Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. Again, run, say run, from sexual sin. No other sin as clearly affects the body as this one does for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. It's a serious sin. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22. Run from temptations. When you're tempted, run from them. Don't linger. Run from them. Question is, are you a running man? Man of God? A man of God is known by what he runs from. Number two leads us into it. A running, a, a, a godly man is, is a man who, what he runs after, is identified by what he runs after. So if you're running from something, what are you running after? Again, back to Genesis in our story. Let's look at chapter 37, 2 and 3. It says, He, Joseph, brought their father a bad report about them, his brothers. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him an ornate or robe or a robe or a coat of many colors that Joseph is known by. Let me read the next one on a comment. 
Verse 13 there says, Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are going, grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. He responded very well, very well. Okay, so this to me speaks of what Joseph was running after. This characteristic trait that we have to have if you're going to be a man of God, a godly man, what are you running after? See, Joseph, he was different than his brothers. Some would say, well, he was a tattletale. He was just a teenager. He was out there. He saw them doing some wrong, so he went home and said, Dad, you won't believe what they're doing, this and this and that. No, I think it went beyond that. I think it's more serious than that. I think they could have been doing things that were absolutely, they could have been robbing from their dad. They could have been playing around with the women where they were at, knowing that they were married. And here's young Joseph. See, his heart was fixed on something different. He had a sensitivity about the things of God. And this offended him. And it could have been that his dad, when he came back, said, what were your boys doing today? He's not going to lie to them. You're not going to lie to him. He's, like, he's going to tell him, well, they were doing this and they're doing that. Now, the next verse really tells us what Jacob thought about Joseph. He trusted him. He said, listen, the boys are down grazing near Shechem. I want you to go down and tell me how it is going. What are they doing? He trusted Joseph to come back with the true report. He could trust him. So he sent him down there. So his integrity, his character, put him in a position, and sometimes your integrity, your character, puts you in a position where others will be jealous of you. So much so that they might want revenge. They want, there's malice in their heart. It happens over and over again. Oh, so-and-so thinks they're so righteous and thinks they're so good. It's not that. It's just that they are so evil they cannot even compare themselves with. Therefore, they're angry with. Someone thinks themselves to be righteous. He didn't get along with his half-brother. Their way of life was different than his way of life. A man of God's way of life should be different than the way of life of someone who's in the world. Is that true? Should be a man of God, a godly man. We don't know what they were doing, but they were obviously doing something wrong. Maybe Jacob suspected them and asked Joseph. He sent them to check out on him. What do we see in Joseph? I see a young man running after God. 1 Timothy, again, in verse 6, it's just the same verse here. After it says, run from evil things, it says, go ahead, pursue or run after righteousness. You run from, but you run to. Godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Go after those things. A godly man, while running from the world, is running after spiritual virtues. Paul commanded Timothy. He said, I want you to run but also want you to follow. That was a command from Paul, his mentor in the Lord. I heard this quote and I, and I wrote it down here. Listen carefully to this. Get out of the sight of things that corrupt and never let the things that produce virtue out of your vision. Run away from those things that corrupt. Get them out of your mind. Get them out of your sight. But don't let the things that produce spiritual virtue, don't lose the vision to go after those things. Make it a lifelong vision. First of all, to run from and to run after. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 19 says, but he loves him who pursues or runs after or that follows after righteousness. Righteousness. Ask yourself the question, what am I after today? 
not just today. What, what am I after? What do I pursue? What am I running after? What do I want out of life? Do I want position? Do I want financial success? Do I want prestige? Do, 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 do I like people to notice me and follow me? What do I want out of life? That's a good question to ask yourself. What you ought to want, want out of life, men, is to be a man of God. I want to be a man of God. I want to be a man who loves God and God loves me. I, I don't want to be a man of the world. I don't want to be a man of our culture. I don't want to be anyone else's man. I want to be God's man. It's a good thing to pursue after. Second Corinthians chapter 5, Paul again says, Therefore we also have an ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. That's my ambition. To be pleasing to him. Make it a daily thing. Make it a first time prayer in the morning and as you're reading or thinking about the day. God, God, let this be day. I'm going to run from things. Lord, give me the strength. Show me things I need to run from, but Lord, I also want to run after. I want to go after the things that are right. Now, it's not a complicated thing. Don't, don't put this in the category of, oh, they're throwing out words like righteousness. I mean, who could be righteous? Jesus is the only one righteous, and we kind of we complicate this thing. Here's how simple it is. Run, run from what is wrong and spend your life running with all your might toward what is right. That's righteousness. Doing what is right is righteousness. It's not hard to do. Joseph did what was right, not just before men, but he did it before God. He did it before God. How could I do this and sin against God. So you can tell a godly man but what he runs from, what he runs after. Let me give you a third one here. What does he trust in? Where does he put his trust? Where is his confidence? Where is your confidence today? Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but the psalmist said, we will remember the Lord our God. Now think, Horses and chariots were, the, were the, an advantage in a battle. It, it was the best thing you, you could have. Most of the troops were on the feet. But if you had horses and you had chariots, so this, in the framework of that, he's saying, don't trust in horses, although they give you an advantage. Don't trust in chariots that they carry behind them, although they give you an advantage. We will remember the Lord our God. No matter how much possessions you have, how much money you have, how much strength you have physically yourself. You don't trust in those things. You trust in the Lord. What do you trust in? What would you rather have? Confidence in God or the other? Now, now look at this verse in Psalm 105. It's about Joseph, but it's a great verse. I want, I want to follow along as I read this. I want to point out a couple things here. The story is a recap. Psalm 105 is kind of a recap of the history of Israel. And he brings out Joseph here. Notice what it said here. He called for the famine. Who called for the famine? How come it got so quiet? Everybody should be yelling out, God did. He called for the famine. Now, I bring this out and I'm stopping here because somehow we've gotten to believe that all God does is run around countering what devil's doing and trying to make up for it. God doesn't counter what the devil does. Now, you're thinking of the verse, well, the Bible tells me that all things work out for good to those who love God. Can God take an evil thing and work it out for good? Absolutely. 
But can God also cause things to happen that will benefit his eternal plan? Absolutely. He called for a famine. Now, why did he call for a famine? There was something, there was bigger picture to this whole thing. It wasn't just the life of one young man and a family. No, there was a promise attached to this young man. And the promise goes all the way back to a plan that was in the heart of God to raise up a people. So he raised up Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to take you to a land. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless your family. Your name is going to be great, and through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. That is a big, big promise. So, in order to fulfill that promise, he called Abraham, he called Isaac, he called Jacob. Jacob has his 12 sons, and at this particular time, there are 70 people that make up that particular family. But God's picture goes down the telescope of time much further than that. God has it in the mind of doing, so he sent a famine. Why did he send a famine? So that the world would be put in a position you see, the famine he, that he called for, they would be put in a position that if their supply were cut off, there would be no hope of the vision that was carried out. So here's what he said. Follow along. He called for a famine on the land, cutting off the food supply. Then he sent someone ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Now you can say, well, couldn't he send him a different way, like first class, Boeing 777? been a better way to send them? No. Listen, they bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar until the, the time came to fulfill his dreams, his dream. The Lord tested Joseph's character. Then Pharaoh sent for him and set him free. Ruler of the nation opened his prison door. Joseph was put in charge of all the king's household. He became the ruler over all the king's possession. You see, Joseph's character had to be tested to see if he could handle the position of prime minister to be able to fulfill this promise that God had made to this whole nation and eventually to the world. Because the promise wasn't just to the Jewish people. The promise was to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that reached down all the way up to Jesus the Messiah, and it was because of Jesus the Messiah that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed. This is a big plan, folks. So all these things were done in conjunction to making sure that this plan would come about. Yeah, it's a majestic thing to say the least of it all. Genesis 50, 19, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to what? Save many people alive. Some people have not understand, well, why did Jesus come and die on the cross? Couldn't he have done it a different way than that? Couldn't he have extended his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness without having his own son die? And the answer is no. Because you see, the penalty of the sin was death, and in order to accomplish this, it had to be someone who was sinless, which was the Son of God. So Jesus had to die in order to complete the full purposes and plan of God to redeem all of mankind. So the story carries on not only through Joseph, it carries on down through many other people, even to Jesus and through him, and is being carried out today for the redemption of mankind, for the divine purposes of mankind. So Jesus had to die on a cross in order for it to happen. Now I want you, want you to 
to go to this next one, is what he runs from, what he runs after, what he trusts in. And the fourth one, what is he willing to give up? A godly man is identified by what he's willing to give up. In Genesis, again, toward the very last, the last chapters, here's what's happening. Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. His father had died. They said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to them. They were scared to death. Not only Joseph was holding back as long as the father was alive, but now that he's dead, uh-oh, we're in trouble. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus shall you say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sin. For they did evil to you. Now please forgive their trespasses of the servants of God, of the, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Joseph didn't have revenge in his heart. He, he didn't have a thought of not forgiving them. He wept for them. He wept. He was willing to lay down his own revenge, lay down his own desire maybe to get back. How many times do we have a desire, if I could just get back at that person, if I just show that person, if it just would be no. It's, we want some satisfaction in the forgiving process. What are we willing to go? If you're going to be a man of God, if you're going to be a woman of God, you're going to have to, be, to lay that kind of stuff down. You've got to have to lay down what would satisfy your own flesh and soul in order for the better good of God. Now look at this verse, Philippians, talks about the Lord Jesus Christ, which again, Joseph is a great type and shadow of Jesus. You must have the same attitude or mind that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He was equal with God, but he didn't cling it to for the will of God's purposes. Instead, he gave up his what? Divine privileges. His divine privileges. You realize that Jesus laid down his godly part of him, and he died as a man. He went to the cross, he suffered, and he died. The divine privilege was he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have ended it all right then. But in the garden, he settled it, and he cried, and he wept. Drops of blood come down. He said, nevertheless, not my will. If this is your will, Father, I will lay down my divine privileges, and I will die as a man so that your purposes can be fulfilled for mankind. If you're going to be a godly man, we're going to have to do what Jesus did, lay down those privileges. What makes for a godly man? A godly man is one who runs. They're a runner all their life. And guess what, men? We're going to have to run all our lives as long as we're in this world. And as long as there's the temptations and the things that are in this world, you're going to have to be a runner. Then you're going to have to run after something, which are the things of God. And that's why it's so important for us to continue to press in, press into fellowship, press into learning. So we're learning what to run after. And we're also going to have to learn what to give up, what to trust in. Would you stand with me, please? We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.